You're listening to audio from the Town Center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Good morning, church. I would invite those of you who are able to remain standing as we get into the scripture. And if you have your Bible or your Bible app, please go to Matthew 5. We're reading verses 1 to 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The Lord. You guys can take a seat. Some of you are like, it's blessed. (laughs) And Cam asked, and I I like the idea of blessed. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. It's, it, it's come off as this fancy word, and you look at it like, no, that's just blessed. But it tells us uh, maybe the background that we grew up in, maybe what, what tradition we grew up in, or what Bible we read growing up. It's just blessed, which, which makes it sound a little closer to, word, to words that we've heard before. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my name is Brad. I'm one of the pastors here at CA Church Town Center. Excited to be giving you uh, the message this morning. Every once in a while, a... A TV show comes along that you just have to binge. I know you guys don't do that because you're Christians. But a lot of people, they find shows and they're just like, okay, next. Okay, next. One of the shows for me over the last decade that's been like that is a show called Alone. I don't know if any of you have ever seen the show Alone. Whoa, that's intense. Um, But the, uh, the, the show Alone is like Survivor, but way better. So what happens on Alone is they take 10 people and they drop them uh, alone in the forest near uh, 10 miles ne- away from the next contestant. They're near nobody else. They're given a sat phone. They're given a, a knife and a hatchet and a flint maybe. And they basically have to make life happen for as long as they can possibly make life happen. Some of you are like, yeah, that's every day for me. No. It's, so what they do is, so you have these people who start off. Some of them are so confident in themselves. This will not be a problem. Then they tap out in like eight hours. And then you have other people who, as a viewer, you watch and you go, this person is not going to last. And they're going for like a month. And they're going beyond that. But that difficulty, it's not like Hunger Games. It's not like someone else has tapped out and you hear a cannon boom and you look up at the sky and go, oh no, they're out. That's not how it works. You don't know if anyone else has tapped out. You don't know if you're the last person. So there's all this unknown world that you're in trying to get by and survive the longest. And they've done it on the the northwest coast of Vancouver Island, uh, Alaska, uh, Patagonia in Argentina. Uh, Who who wants to guess which which is the worst environment they faced? 
Vancouver Island. The wind and the rain just does not stop. With almost all the other ones, Patagonia and Alaska, they slowly watch the snow line come down the mountains, but there's no warning them about the rain when it hits the west coast of Vancouver Island, which just pummels them. So you see guys and girls in their, in their tents for a week just looking out. And they're also each given two cameras. So they slowly, like they film themselves over the weeks and over the months as they try to survive. And what you see is this kind of Tom Hanks, um, Wilson relationships start happening where they're talking to their camera like it's a live person. Um, and what you always see over time, what you always see over time is their excitement about little things. So they're physically starving. And so they'll, they'll, they'll think they're going to start up catching salmon and all, and then they get down to um, catching rodents and squirrels with, with, with rocks. So you'll have like a, a deadfall where they just pull, they'll, they'll pull the little stick and it'll flatten a rodent. And the excitement, these people are jumping around up and down like they've just discovered gold. Or one guy cut up, open a bottle so all these little fish like this would, would swim into it. And you would not believe the excitement of this man who is now about to drink this swill of fish guts and pureed fish. To him, this was a massive victory. So you see this kind of downward spiral of malnutrition and this excitement over things that would disgust us and really do not give them much nutrition to last them beyond a couple hours. The other thing that you see over time, even if they're doing very well, some of them are well fed, they'll, they'll, they'll build a great uh, home, uh, a place to live, and then they will build a whole other place just to dry out all the fish they're catching. And they'll have a, a full shed that they've built full of fish. But without fail, every season, you have the loneliness grasp onto these people. More and more and more, they say, I can't live like this. So they'll, they'll have the food they need, they'll, even, they'll have the nutrition they need, and they say, I have no relationship. And you see these people have these like, divine, these sacred moments of conviction that I'm not the dad I need to be, I'm not the, the, the wife I need to be. When I get back, things are going to be so different than they are now. Right now, I'm not just hungry for food. I'm hungry for relationship, and it takes them over. And I, I recall one guy who started out with a pretty foul mouth by the end, and using the Lord's name in vain, there's a shot of him on his knees calling out to God for strength until he finally gets to see his family again. In the fourth beatitude, which we're honing in on today, it says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Many of us are walking around and we are spiritually starving. We're spiritually thirsty. What I love is that Jesus does not say, Blessed are those who feel righteous. Blessed are those who will one day be righteous. Blessed are those whom other people think are pretty righteous. I mean, those are pretty good too. Not even blessed are those who are righteous. So isn't that great that we don't have to have any of those things in line to be blessed or blessed? It is ultimately about wanting to live in the wisdom that God has given us. To, to live in a way that is befitting of calling ourselves Christ. When we, when we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we look at the Beatitudes, what we're looking at is, is Jesus' kind of inaugural speech. This is the kind of divine kingdom I'm bringing in, and this is what it looks like to live in it. What I want to see in all of those who say, yes, you are my king, is a desire, a hunger, a thirst for righteousness. 
Because right living, meaning living according to godly wisdom, it brings actual satisfaction. Not perfect happiness, but a deep satisfaction. Belonging, it, it, it brings right relationship. And so to clarify, right relationship is, is already established with us. It's already given to us. It's freely given to us our right relationship with, with God the Father through his son Jesus Christ and the life that he lived, his life, death, and resurrection. But what is meant to stir up in us is a desire to nurture that right, that right relationship and it to bubble over and, and to cause us to seek right relationship with those around us. So there's a few things that we need to, to recognize in order to understand what Jesus is saying here, what he's saying in this beatitude. First is this, we are all hungry and thirsty. We are all hungry and thirsty. We are all wired to, to crave and to seek satisfaction. But we were created to find it in one place. We each walk in here with a deep desire to be seen, known, and loved. A deep desire to be welcomed in. A deep understanding that there's something bigger out there than just what's in front of me. King Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 3.11. It's not up there. It says that God made everything. I don't think. Okay. Don't surprise me. God made everything beautiful in its time, but he has also put eternity in man's heart. Meaning everything will be right in its time, but he's already put a desire for, for that time in our hearts. We desire right relationship. We desire to be at peace with each other and with God the Father. We're built to crave. The question for you and I from the text and from the entire uh, collection of Scripture is what do you crave? What do you crave? And that isn't easy. I mean, we, we can just follow our heart. We you know, I love these ones. We can just be our own hero. There's a hero. I don't think that's how she danced, but we can just be our true self. You be you. Just you be you. There's a real problem with that. Some of us have experienced this. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Meaning you can't even understand it. I love how we try to correct other people. We can't even understand our own hearts. Being hungry for something does not guarantee that thing will satisfy your hunger. Yes, we are all hungry and thirsty, but we will only be satisfied if what we crave and pursue is what we actually need. Hear that. We are all spiritually hungry and thirsty, but we will only be satisfied if what we crave and pursue is what we actually need. Some of you have been part of the Alpha Course. You might recall Jim Carrey's famous statement. I think everybody should, be, should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed, dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. Meaning, I've got everything that I wanted, and it still doesn't make me happy. Freddie Mercury, after he had, Freddie Mercury of Queen, after he had accomplished what any musician would want to accomplish, said, deep down, I am, I'm fully empty. I don't, I, I've craved for something. I thought I gathered it all, but I am still hungry. I am still thirsty. So yeah, we are all hungry and we are thirsty. But if we crave temporary things, we will only get temporarily satisfied. If we crave and pursue eternal things, we will be eternally satisfied. We will be deeply satisfied. If we, if we feed our spiritual hunger with non-spiritual things, we will find ourselves spiritually malnourished. We will find ourselves excited about pureed fish guts and jumping up and down with excitement. And that won't last us very long. 
And we have a world that is, as I say many, very often, the minute you get out of here, you're going to be attacked by a new kind of liturgy that says, no, 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 the things of this earth can make you very happy. The things of this earth will satisfy your hunger. The things of this earth will satisfy your thirst. Uh, the late author and social critic David Foster Wallace said this. He said, the world will not discourage you from operating on your default settings because the world of man and money and power hums along quite nicely on the fuel of fear and contempt and frustration and craving and the worship of self. Our own present culture has harnessed these forces in ways that have yielded extraordinary wealth and comfort and personal freedom. The freedom to be lords of our own tiny skull-sized kingdoms. Alone at the center of all creation. The bottom, the, the main word there is alone. These desires, these, 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 these falsehoods that tell us this will make you happy. Just follow your desires. Make us a king or a queen. Yes, of our skull-sized kingdom. And God wants to offer us so much more. In other words, the world isn't going to help you and I here. We can try to seek, seek out satisfaction in our cravings in the world. It will not satisfy. This is why Jesus' words are so countercultural to, to even today. This is why Paul drove the Roman world nuts. He, the St. Paul, when the, when, the world would, when the Roman world would attack him or, or the religious Jews would attack him, they would beat him and he would say, oh, what a privilege to, be, to suffer for Jesus. Well, then we're going to kill you. Oh, what a privilege. I can go and be with Jesus? Thanks. Okay, then we'll, we'll, we'll make you live. Oh, to be and stay with you. It's, what a blessing. How do we deal with this guy? That's how it ought to be with you and I. Listen, you have nothing that feeds me truly. You have nothing that satisfies my, tr- my thirst truly. So you can't pull me into all these different things. You can't make me sign up for this tribe or that tribe or this I- ideology or that ideology. I find everything I need in who Jesus is. Matthew 16, 26 says, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for your soul? And many people lament. They say, I have everything. Why am I not happy? Why am I not content, satisfied? And in response, Jesus says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Part of us needs to ask the question, do, do we believe him? Will we actually trust him in that? Will we give up all our pursuits out there and go, you know what, Jesus, you're enough for me. I won't feel it all the time. I'm not going to feel like I'm on top of the world all the time. But I'm going to trust you in this area and I'm going to stop pursuing all these other things for short little spurts. Perhaps we could say this, unfortunate are those who settle for their defaults of self-service and worship of money, sex, relationship, and power, for they will never be satisfied. As I've said before, that's a treadmill with no off switch. But what is righteousness? Why is it important? It's not something that you hear a lot of, people talking or or saying that they crave. You know, I'm really hungry for, you know what I want? Righteousness. A little more righteousness. I'm thirsty for righteousness. It was very important to Jesus. We're going to see it over the next few months. In Matthew 5, 20, Jesus says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, that's no small thing to say in Jesus' day, and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
In Matthew 6, 1, Jesus says, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And then later in the Beatitudes, uh, the, the, the Beatitudes that we're going through right now, in verse 10, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we know that righteousness is worth striving for, it's worth guarding, and it's worth giving our life for. It's, it's one of the main focuses of the, the whole entire Hebrew scriptures, which many of us call the Old Testament, where the idea of righteousness is all about relationship. So don't, don't get this highfalutin idea of righteousness is about perfection. It's about what am I going to do to have unity in my relationships, my relationship with God, my relationship with Christ, my relationship with those around me. Old Testament scholar, scholar Gerard von Rad, so he's pretty awesome, said this, he said, there's absolutely no concept in the Old Testament with so central a significance for all the relationships of human life as that of righteousness. It is a standard not only for humanity's relationship to God, but also to each other, reaching right down to the most, the most petty wranglings. Indeed, it is even the standard for one's relationship to the animals and the natural environment. So all of creation is hungry and thirsty for righteousness, and that makes sense. Because our deepest hunger and thirst is for healthy relationship. Even introverts, even introverts are hungry for healthy relationship. In fact, introverts in many ways are more hungry for authentic, deep relationship. This is something I didn't understand for quite some time. And once I heard it, I kept passing it by introverts that I knew. And they said, yes, this is right. One of the things introverts hate and some of you just experienced it about 10 minutes ago, was when we say, hey, let's welcome each other out to church. And if you've been here for a while, you know that sometimes I'll say the washrooms are that way if you need to escape. But I always thought that introverts didn't like talking to people. And what I learned not that long ago was, no, no, we like talking to people. We like actually talking to people. So if someone wants to sit down and have a coffee and get to know me and ask real questions, I'm all about that. What I don't like is, hey, how was your week? How's the weather? How are the kids doing? That's not what introverts like. Introverts like to get deep, deep down. And that makes sense because our deepest hunger and thirst is for healthy relationship. To be seen and known and loved by God and by others. That's why when you watch the news, even if it's not about you, if you watch the news and you see horrible things happening, there's another shooting in a mall um, last night, shootings in the schools that we hear about. We hear strong uh, political stories and ideologies, people bashing heads. The reason that hurts deep down, whether we can name it or not, is because we don't like seeing broken relationships. We, we long for peace. We long for unity. Often we can't name that, but we thirst and we hunger for right relationship. Righteousness is about living faithfully in relationships. So, so think, think about that. Think about what that means for your relationships. How do I live righteously in my relationships? So a, a spouse, a spouse is righteous when they are faithful to their marriage covenant. They're living righteously. A citizen of a city is righteous when he or she lives up to what is expected to keep social order and peace. Right relationship, right relatedness is what Jesus is all about in the Beatitudes. In fact, it's what God is all about in, in the Ten Commandments. Did you ever think about that? The Ten Commandments are all about living in great, healthy relationship. The opening line of the Ten Commandments is what? 
Is that behind me yet? No. So that's no good. Now you can see it. (laughs) I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That's the first statement before any commandments are given. That's a statement of relationship, of belonging, of being known and seen and loved and saved. It's a proclamation that I am your God and I am in relationship with you. If you want right relationship with me and with each other, listen to my words. Proclaim the way of health between us and God and between each other. A few years ago, I was speaking at, a, at one of our men's breakfasts up at uh, our Mariner campus. And I was talking about the long, walk, the long covenantal walk of the church and what it means to walk with maybe a, a loved one, but also with the church when it comes to, to mental health. And, and, li- and the importance of living in community, the importance of church community. And afterwards, someone asked me, well, what's the difference between a church community and just going to the pub with a bunch of friends who you love to hang out with? Uh, you probably sing different songs, first of all. But I said, I said righteousness. Righteousness is, in the, is the difference. If I go to a pub and I complain about my wife, <laughs> I'm going to get a pat on the back and I'm going to get a tribe that's all on my side. And they say, you're right, man. I can't, I, don't, I can't believe you can live with that. But when it's church community, it's, what did you do? No, it might not be that. <laughs> it's that. Yeah, well, maybe. Depends on, who I'm, <laughs> depends on who, I'm, who I'm talking to. But the concern is not just, you're right, we want to make you feel good. The concern is righteousness. The concern is bringing unity. The, 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 the idea is that there is redemption and right standing with each other. That is what we long for and that is what we thirst for. That's why we don't always just, that we love each other, but we're not blown away by each other. We, we want to push back and love each other and, and chisel each other in, more into the image of God. When someone comes to me or, or, or another pastor at CA Church and says, my wife or my husband and I are having a really hard time and they tell me a bit about their problem, I don't tend to say, wow, your, your spouse sounds like a real tool. That's not helpful. And sometimes I know that it's what people want to hear. I don't say, oh man, how are you able to put up with that? You are right, they are wrong, and you are truly a martyr. That's not helpful. That's not worried about righteousness. That's just worried about protecting that person. Because our goal in Christian community and in council is, to, is not to, to victimize you and demonize them. It's always, how can we reconcile? How can we edify, glorify Jesus in this relationship? How will we allow, and that's often what, what a pushback will be when I hear someone's horrible story, is often, how will the gospel influence this situation? How are you going to make room for the gospel to work in this situation? Even if they're completely wrong, how are you going to allow the God? How will you be Jesus here? It's about righteousness. It's about right relationship and a hunger and a desire to make things right. One of the greatest misconceptions of the Ten Commandments or, or even here, what, what Jesus is laying out, especially as we get in, further into the Sermon on the Mount, is that to live the kingdom life, that, it, that it, it just exists as some kind of cosmic test of your faith. That's not it. Disobedience to God is so grievous because it, it, it damages relationship. It damages relationship with him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for right relationship with God and others, for they and only they will be satisfied. 
And I love that, the word for hunger and thirst. It, and you sense it. It's not like you need to know the Greek. It's like, it's like panting and, and like, I, I, I need more. I need more. I need something to sustain me. It's not a hankering. It's, it's not an, an, an itch for a little of righteousness. It's not an, an add-on. It's not, I'll, I'll try my best. It's, it's looking to righteousness, looking to right relationships with God and with others as our very sustenance. William Barclay, uh, scholar of the New Testament, says this. He says, The hunger which this beatitude describes is no genteel hunger which could be satisfied with a mid-morning snack. The thirst of which it speaks is no thirst which could be slaked with a cup of coffee or an iced drink. If it was, I'd be good. It is the hunger of one who is starving, starving for food. And the thirst is one who will die unless he drinks. But if you're like me, your desire is to be comfortable. Your desire is to be, if you're like me, rather than submission to the living God, you're content to be spiritual. I don't need to run after righteousness. I can, as long as other people see me as righteousness, as righteous, I'll, I'll be good. If you're like me, rather than a, a life transforming drink of the, the fullness of God, you're happy to just take a sip on Sunday mornings. Just take a sip with my morning devotions so I can check that off. Rather than walking through the day and go, how am I going to let the, the, the right relationship that I have with God, how am I going to help that explode in me into my right relationships with other people? If, if you're like me, rather than, than instead of, of covenant, of a, a full giving over in all areas of my life, I like to just nibble sometimes on Sunday mornings or in devotions rather than overtake my daily pursuits. And then we often ask, why don't I feel filled? Why do I always still feel thirsty? Many people say, well, where, where is God? I've, I, I've put my time in here. Like, like, a, like a marathon runner who wonders, how come this, these, this beer and fries and binging on Netflix, how come that didn't prepare me for this marathon that I'm running? Can, can we expect a full experience of God when we're unwilling to give ourselves fully to him? We're all hungry. We're all thirsty. Our, our deepest hunger and thirst is for healthy relationships. And so we can look nowhere greater. Our, great, our, our, our hunger and our thirst should lead us to Jesus. If you come in here this morning and you're spiritually hungry, you're spiritually thirsty, you're feeling the burden of the world, there is no greater place for you to go than to the feet of Jesus. Jesus makes it clear that relationship is his greatest priority. He shows it with his life. His greatest priority is bridging the gap between you and I and God the Father to bring you and I in relationship with God and healthy relationship with each other. It's interesting, in the, in the Gospel of John, there, there, Jesus speaks twice of the importance of hunger and thirst satisfying us, that, that he can offer this in a way that nothing else in the world can. So I ask again, do we trust him on that? Do we trust him on that? Will we lay every other desire at his feet and say, I'm going to trust you for, to satisfy my deepest hunger and, and my deepest thirst? Jesus, in, in, in John 6, Jesus, Jesus is, is arguing with some, some Jewish religious leaders. And he's pointing back to the story that every Jewish person knows, the story of the Exodus. When God leads, God's, God leads his people out of Egypt, he chooses Moses to be a kind, of, a kind of Messiah leader, to lead them to salvation towards the promised land. And while they're on the way to the promised land, they're, they're, they're grumbling. They don't have any food at one point. And so God 
God tells him that on the ground is going to be laid um, bread-like substance called manna, which literally means, what is it? Which is a great title. They didn't, didn't have, like I said, they weren't very creative back then. <laughs> Jesus points back to this story while he's teaching people in first century. And he says, you always think that Moses gave you that bread, but he didn't give you that bread. God gave you that bread, and that bread is actually pointing to me. It's a small version of me. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, manna. It is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Now, they're saying that because he just fed them the previous day with a miracle. And they're just back for some tricks. Can you juggle the bread this time? No. Something more important is going on here, and Jesus doesn't want them to miss it. In the same way, when we come here on a Sunday morning, and we sing worship, and we gather together, let's not miss it. Let's not think that is the experience. Let's not think that's the sustenance. We're coming here because we want more Jesus. We want to leave with more of him. We want our, our grasp more firmly on him. When we sing these beautiful songs of all creation giving him glory, we want to get in on that story. We want to walk in that story, the beauty of that narrative. If not, we will snack on food that does not satisfy. Then in chapter 7 of John, Jesus says this, it's the last day of the festival, there's a great feast going on. Jesus stood and he said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So it's not, it's not just going to go in, it's going to overtake you and flow out of you. They will explode with refreshment, hunger and thirst for other things and you will not be satisfied. And this is what will happen. One of two things will happen if you're dissatisfied with the world. One is, we'll, we'll confuse that for walking with Jesus and say, oh, it's let me down. We'll walk away from the faith and we'll say it, it never worked when in reality it was never fully trusted. Or we'll simply end up dissatisfied with all of our accomplishments and just kind of sit in it and wallow in it. We'll be perpetually, spiritually hungry, and thirsty. Now, that's not always a bad thing if we can catch it. <laughs> Catholic theologian Peter Kreeft says this, and this is helpful. Dissatisfaction is the second best thing there is because it dissolves the glue that entraps us to, to false satisfactions. And it drives us to God, the only true satisfaction. And maybe some of you find yourself there. The, the glue is, is, is kind of loosening up at the edges and whatever you've been holding on to has kind of been sliding. Some of us, if we're honest this morning, we're no strangers to dissatisfaction. We've ran after a handful of things. They've let us down. We've seen the glue dissolve. And some of us here would say, actually, that, drew, that pushed me to God. And that's a good ending to that story. Except it's not the ending of the story. We continue to be sustained by him, continue to walk with him. But some, maybe we've been unwilling to do that. So maybe today is a day to say, you know, I'm going to put down all the snacks. <laughs> I'm going to put down the fries and the beer, maybe metaphorically as well as <laughs> in reality. And I am going to find myself sustained in who I am and what Christ has done for me. Maybe some of us this morning, we need to reorient our cravings. 
and we may not even know what that means other than simply saying today, God, I've been trying to sustain myself on those things and it's not bringing me life. In fact, over time, it is slowly stealing life from me. It's stealing my time. It's stealing my thought life. It's stealing from my relationships. Some of us, spiritually and emotionally, we've starved ourselves from real food. We've starved ourselves from the very thing that gives us, that satisfies our hunger and satisfies our thirst. And so we find ourselves celebrating over flattened rodents. We spend our days chasing after rats, excited when we get to finally catch them. Spend three hours skinning them and cooking them and slowly nibbling on each little bone, trying to get every little thing we can out of them, celebrating a meal that will not satisfy and celebrating it like it's a victory only to come out the other side malnourished spiritually and without what we truly need. Often we're satisfied with stale bread and flat coke when Jesus wants to offer us life and life more abundantly. And, and when we come here on a Sunday morning, that, that's what we're after. When we come here on a Sunday morning, we're saying, I've got nothing else. I've got the cross. That's all I've got. I've got you, Jesus. That's all I've got. When, when, when Jesus' disciples, many around Jesus were leaving because his, his teaching was very difficult. He went to his disciples that were close to him and he said, are you guys going to leave too? And he said, where are we going to go? Only you have the words of eternal life. I say that to you, only Jesus has the words of eternal life. Only Jesus has the words, has the the life, death, and resurrection. Only Jesus has the story to offer you this morning that satisfies hunger and thirst. And this is something we need to be reminded of over and over. That's why I'm very very happy that this beatitude fell (laughs) on a weekend that we do communion. (laughs) Could not be more fitting. Could be the text (laughs) to do communion with. So as we take communion this morning, let's, let's take Jesus up on this offer. Let's reorient our hearts. For some, this is the direction of Christ, and we are going in the opposite direction. For some, we just need to reorient a little bit. And as we step into communion, communion we're going to reflect on that a bit. Communion is a, is a dramatic practice. It's, it's where we are, we are declaring that God has done something amazing that has transformed history. It's transformed, uh, transformed our present. He has done something historical, cosmic, and of eternal significance. When we, when we take these simple everyday elements of bread and, and juice, we place sacred significance on them. That, I love that, that kind of phrasing because that's what he does with each of us when he welcomes us into his kingdom. He takes basic things and he places sacred significance on them. That when we take the bread and we take the cup, they represent the, the narrative that brings true satisfaction to our hunger. That, that quenches our deepest thirst and welcomes us in. So when you take communion this morning, when we take communion, this is a way of saying, I'm in. I'm in. I want this this story to overtake me. I want this story to sustain me. I am so hungry for food that truly satisfies my soul. I am so thirsty for real drink that'll satisfy me. So for this, this morning, as we take the bread and cup, which were given to us by Jesus, he said, when you take this bread, remember, I gave my body for you. 
When you drink, remember I spilled my blood for you for the forgiveness of your sins. So who should take communion this morning? Anyone who says this morning, I am starving for a relationship with Jesus. I am starving for more of him. Who should take communion? Anyone who says, I am so thirsty for more Jesus. I am so thirsty. Jesus, please satisfy my thirst. Only you can. Where else am I going to go? If that's you, then you are welcome to take communion this morning. We come with nothing and we trade it in for everything. So how we're going to do it this morning, I'll invite the the community servers to come forward and the the worship team, is you are not going to move. You've been here for a while. We've tried several different ways, but what I would like us to do is we're going to stay seated and our servers in a moment are actually going to hand out the bread to you. We'll eat the bread together once I instruct you to. And then after that, we will take the cup together. If this is not your story, if you, you're not interested in pursuing Jesus and saying, you're my deepest hunger, you're my deepest thirst, then just let the plate The plates pass you by. But if this is your story, I want you to take this time during worship to see maybe what kind of decisions you need to make this week. Maybe in your relationships, who or what you're devoted to, who or what you've been pursuing. And maybe as the the band plays and leads us in worship, we need to reflect and repent, prepare our hearts, make room in our hearts for more of him as we take communion together. So let's worship And let's ask the Spirit of God to work in our hearts and minds as we prepare to eat and drink together. God, do a work in us this morning. We have nowhere else to go to find true sustenance. We have nowhere else to go to find true drink. Not a drink that satisfies for a time, but something that bubbles up in us and completely overtakes us. That's what we want more of this morning. That's what we reflect on this morning. We thank you for your life, death, and resurrection that changes history, that changes our past, changes our future, and changes are present. We reflect on that now as we take communion together in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship as the bread is passed. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.